0: All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. You guys are gonna have to be a little more quiet at the beginning than you were for Chris Morgan last week. I don't have the patience he does. He's got three kids and we made sure last week we're stopping at two. I don't, I don't quite have that patience. So I appreciate, I appreciate you guys quieting it down, but welcome to everybody in here. If you're new to Man Challenge, you're in the right place. You will not regret your time and we're glad you're here this morning. I'm glad they set the podium up for me. Um, Our goal here is to create competence and confidence in the gospel and who Jesus was in our relationship with Christ. As we grow in knowledge, we will grow in competence. As we grow in confidence, we will grow in our ability to talk about Jesus, and we want to create a disciple-making culture. We want to bring others to Christ, and by growing in competence and confidence, we can do that. This is my 10th year coming to man challenge. first time on the mic. I now speak on a microphone for a living, but they said, Sam and these guys told me it takes 10 years to get up here, or your college basketball team has to be so bad that Jay Dorch and Burke and these guys know that I can't rag on the Wildcats and, and the volunteers. I mean, last night was the first night that I've been in town for a game. Louisville's game wasn't on some abstract channel that I didn't watch. We, we watched the final episode of Ozark, me and my wife. So, the first time. So, that, that's where I'm at with Louisville basketball. My favorite player in all of college basketball is actually a U.K. player, Oscar Shibwe. I went to, um, I went to the U.K. Western game. It was supposed to be the U.K. Louisville game, and I was going to go make this triumphant return to Rupp. I don't know if you guys saw that video, but we were going to go do uh, go over there and enjoy the game. But I got to see Oscar Shibwe have – 28 rebounds in the game, and then after the game, he said, the Bible says anything is possible. I don't care what people say. I'm going to stick with the Word of God. If I fail, I'm going to fail with the Word of God. That's a stud right there. That is a stud. I'm paced to set the single season rebounding record, giving all the glory to Christ. That's that's what you do with that platform. But for 10 years, Man Challenge has been a staple in my life, and The main reasons are it's helped me grow my knowledge and my relationship with God, and also, I've had so many people pour into me, and then now I get to pour into others, and it's just given me um, importance in my life. It's given me fulfillment in my life. So Man Challenge has done a ton for me. All you newcomers, stick with it. You'll grow tremendously as a man, as a Christian, husband, father, friend, whatever it may be. We're just here trying to help you get your next step of faith. Super Bowl is this week. When I first started coming to Man Challenge, I used to always say, your Man Challenge table should be a group of dudes that you'd want to watch the Super Bowl with. So all you table leaders out there, if, if your guys don't have plans, maybe you invite them over this weekend. But that's what we used to always say. This should be a group of guys you'd want to watch the Super Bowl with. I call games for the Bills for a living, and I'm still not over the game. Anyone watch the Chiefs-Bills game? I mean, I'm not over it. That final 13 seconds, I'm truly not over it. I should be out in L.A. right now. Maybe God knew that I couldn't handle that, but I just feel like I should be out in L.A. right now with the Bills in the Super Bowl, and I'm also from Cincinnati, so this is just like some inner pettiness. This is me being vulnerable this morning and admitting some sin. Like, my mouth says I'm rooting for the Bengals, but my heart is not there. Like, it's hard to see all your friends and family so happy. Like, I'm sorry, Maggard. I, it's hard for me to see, I almost took you to the Super Bowl. But it's hard for me to see you so happy. That's just me being honest. All right. So one of my favorite things about Man Challenge is we create a culture of guys, and this is not something I was familiar with with pro sports or the house I grew up in. We create a culture of guys that brag on their wives, talk about them positively. It's been transformative for me, and I love it. I love how the guys talk about their wives here. We don't talk trash about our wives behind their back. That is one of the most unhealthy things you can do for your relationship, and I love hanging out with guys, and I'll tell them. If I'm hanging out with someone new and I hear them brag about their wife, I say, I like that. I like people like you. So last week, Ronnie, or sorry, Chris Morgan was asking Wes what he was doing for Valentine's Day. He said, we're staying in, and Chris said, is anyone going to Ruby's? And I raised my hand. And I thought I was the only one that raised my hand, and then Ronnie Cordray texted me and confirmed that. So is no one going to Ruby's for Valentine's Day? Just not thoughtful enough, because I did that months ago. You know, I knew Leslie want to go there. Yeah, I, I honestly, you can ask Chris Morgan, I was gonna give away a Ruby's gift card, but no one raised their hand. So I'll hold on to that one, we'll use it Monday. <laughs> Just saved 100 bucks, Chris. But hey, so I've been poured into by so much of the leadership of Southeast. I came from a very dysfunctional household, alcoholism, divorce. Four pieces of advice, you can write this down, but four pieces of advice that I've been given that has been so impactful for me and my marriage Number one, pray with your wife. It was so awkward for me the first time. I was at Couples Bible Study with Dave Stone and Beth, and they said, hey, the challenge for this week is to pray with your wife. And I got home and laid in bed, and I couldn't even look at her. This is a girl that we've been through thick and thin. And I pray out loud with the kids, but I couldn't even look at her. But it's been so great for us, the vulnerability that comes from both sides to that time of prayer. Pray with your wife. Number two, constantly learn about your wife, whether it's the love language, whether it's just observing. Figure out what she's passionate about, what serves her, what lifts her up. Maybe it's uh, doing the dishes for I heard Chris Burke talk a long time ago about just doing the dishes and how much he hates doing the dishes, but it's just little things like that that serves his wife, Sarah. Number three, get a weekly grade from your wife. So this is something I work with an executive coach once a week, we we're, we're now hit the bi-weekly rhythm because Leslie, that's what she likes, but we do this bi-weekly rhythm where I'll text her once a week and say, hey, just give me some feedback for, as a dad and husband, and, and I cannot justify anything. You just say, thanks, baby. It might be, hey, you're not helping me enough with the kids leaving the house or whatever it may be. Well, that helps me understand from her. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I like a scoreboard. I, I want a scoreboard. And and for a lot of people, that's what that's the hang-up with the relationship with Christ. There's no scoreboard. We've already been saved. But I want a scoreboard. And so for that, that allows me to constantly check in. And then number four, and this was the coolest one, this from Dave Stone. We've all heard you need to date your wife, you need to keep it fresh. But build up that date night to your kids. So a lot of times you leave the house for date night, and part of the reason your wife doesn't want to go or you don't want to go is the kids just get real antsy. And they hate when the babysitter's there. and But when you build up that date night, it changes everything. So start early in the morning. Hey, hey, girl, I get to take the prettiest girl in all of Louisville on a date night. Ooh, who is it? Who is it? Is it me? No, it ain't you. It's your mom. And then, you know, tell my son, hey, daddy gets to take mommy out on a date tonight. You want to help me pick out my outfit? Oh, yeah, let's do it and then he'll pick out some goofy polo or something, and I'm like, nah, nah, But anyways, they get so excited about it, and then they're running in, watching Leslie get ready. Ooh, daddy's gonna be so impressed. It it changes everything. Build up that date night. Those four things have been great for me. Those are things I never saw as a kid, and it was only through my proximity with Southeast Christian that I got to learn those. Okay, I'm gonna bring out Joe Donaldson. Joe runs the Potter's Will Ministry and has done a tremendous amount with Southeast. He's an incredible communicator. Welcome to the stage, Joe. I've got a couple things for you. What's your plan for Valentine's Day with your wife? Oh, wow.
1: Um, well, we've been married for over 30 years. We're pretty phlegmatic people. We don't do big stuff. So I think, uh, you know, she's taking her mom to visit her brother. But that evening we'll probably just, I don't know, Probably just like Netflix and Chili. For the
0: fifty and older crowd, that that has another meaning. Um, all right.
1: What's one piece what, of what's that? I mean it's a good bowl of chili in a movie. I don't know what you're talking right, about, man.
0: Right, right. All right. You can give one piece of advice to every man in this room and they have to apply it. What is it? Oh.
1: Uh, hmm. desperately seek to know yourself. That's good. I have no idea what that means, but I was just on the spot. I had to say something. That's That's really good. Let me pray over you. (laughs)
0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this group gathered here this morning. Thank you for this building, this church that we get to meet in. Lord, I I lift Joe up to you, and I just pray that the Spirit speaks through him and, and gives Each man in this room, exactly what they need to hear to impact one at a time, Lord.
1: Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I suddenly felt very small as he prayed for me. Uh, I kind of feel what Bob Russell has felt all these years. All right, so uh, uh, let me begin by doing a little review from last week. Who spoke last week? Uh, A few of you remembered. West Sheffield spoke last week. Do you remember what passage he spoke about oh man okay Luke 7 it's the widow at Nain Uh, this widow her son had died Jesus comes along raises him from the dead and um, clearly it made a substantial impact on many of you so uh, but but as Wes has taught that lesson he shared an illustration that really stuck with me. And that illustration was it was right out of his corporate experience. Uh, he, him and his team were in a team building activity, and the person leading it had had them put pieces of paper on the wall. Your name got put on the top of one of those, and then the people on the team would walk around, and they would write character traits that they've seen in you. And some of you all have done stuff like that. You know, Jim's a hard worker. Susie's, you know, really funny. Uh, Fred's a little hard to get to know. Uh, this person's a great servant. You know, you just write those things, and then you, you, you see them later. But here's what Wes did. Wes made the connection. He says, you know, we all need to have one of those sheets of paper kind of inside of us where we're listing attributes, not of other people or myself, but of God, and he had that idea that you know we need to be listing these attributes of God. One is it reminds us of who God is, and also it glorifies Him. Well, so I thought that was a great illustration. I thought about it at that time. I thought about it through the week, and as I thought about it, well, one one thing struck me is whether you know it or not, you have that already. We all have inside of us a sense, a piece of paper that we're writing what we believe about God on it. And you say, well, I don't think I do. Yeah, you do. We all do. And, 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 and it's, it's not what you ought to believe about God. It's what you really believe about God. And not only that, I would say you have at least one other piece of paper inside of you. And on that, you're writing what you believe about yourself. What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. That's really big. Uh, for me, uh, and again, this is just for me. This is my opinion. I believe that's a big, big part of what the Bible calls the heart, the deepest place within us. And God is incredibly interested in your heart. And a big part of what that heart is, is what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. Those two things will, will shape everything you feel, everything you think, everything you do. And, and, and I've seen that in my own life. And uh, j- just as a, let me. We're just going to use this whiteboard, and we're going to pretend it's this. So, so, you know, what do I believe about God, and what I believe about me? And, and, and we're just going to kind of have these pieces of paper. For me, I've, I've never doubted God. I kind of grew up in the church. I never had a problem with that. I never doubted his holiness, his power, that he's the creator. Those things have always come pretty natural to me. I've always been very comfortable with that. Maybe you not so much, but that's just me. But I also realize that... Uh, Like my earthly father, I came to believe that God was good, but distant and aloof, hard to connect with. I I don't know when that started, but I've just come to realize yeah, I believe that about God. Uh, And then when it comes to me, what I believe about myself, early on in my life, I kind of picked up a phrase that, that one of the things, one of the big things I believe about myself is I really don't have what it takes. I, I, I don't, it's just that phrase that just has always resonated, I don't have what it takes. And so because of that, I've avoided difficult things, I avoid difficult situations, I avoid conflict, I, I take it safe. That's kind of who I've always been. And, and within that, coming out of that also, I came to believe that I desperately needed the approval of other people to feel good about myself. And I got to say, what I believed about God and what I believed about myself has shaped 61 years of me. It's just really, really powerful. And so when Wes talked about that, I thought, yeah, you're exactly right. We have that within us, what we believe about God and what we believe about me. Now we'll say this. God has spent my whole, whole adult life taking those things and trying to add his truth to it. You know, so when Eric asked me what's one thing I'd share, I'd say desperately seek what you truly believe about yourself and about God. Really ask yourself those things because God wants to change, wants to improve, wants to make true those beliefs of mine. And that's why he has you here, at least in part, because he's doing that in your life as well. So, so let, let's think about that. So, so last week, when Wes was talking about this, what attribute of God did Wes focus on that we saw in Jesus in that story in Luke 7? Anybody Remember? compassion. Thank you. So, so, man, you know, so the, the God's a God of compassion. And for some of you, yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But some of you, that's hard. Some of you have a hard time really believing that God is for you or for other people because you, you didn't grow up with that sense of God's compassion. So maybe that's a new thing for you. And that's powerful because God wants to show that to you. But in this one at a time series, if God is like this, well, then, you know, we want to be more compassionate. You know, that's, that's this whole idea of this series is, you know, if he's these things, can we become these things? And that's a really hard one for some of you guys because you're truth guys. You're, 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 you know, the bottom line. You don't have a lot of compassion. You say, hey, that's not the way God made me. I get that. So here's the cool thing. When you come across an attribute of God, it's not natural to you. That's your best opportunity because that's, that's exactly what God wants to do. God, God doesn't want you just to, to be what you naturally are. He wants you to become what he can supernaturally change into you. So when you say, I'm not a real compassionate guy, God just smiles and say, yeah, I know. So I, I want to work with you. I want to walk with you. I want to train you. I want to transform you to become a compassionate person. So that was last week' great lesson in Impact Me. So this week we're going to look at a new passage, a different passage, and we're going to add to our list here a little bit. We're going to look in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bible... You can turn to Luke 15. We're going to walk through this. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture to some of you, in part because Luke chapter 15 has, at the end of it, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, I I say this is the greatest story ever told. Uh, We're big in mantras here at Southeast. I would say one of my mantras is you cannot spend too much time thinking about, talking about, reading about the story of the prodigal son. It's just an incredible story. But also in this chapter is this parable of the lost son. And at the very beginning is the parable of the lost sheep. We're going to look at that today. Now, ironically, Kyle's already preached about this in this series. A week one of One at a Time, Kyle preached about the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, shockingly, Kyle, like he always does, did a great job with it. So I'm not going to try to redo that, but my senses. You didn't remember everything about it, so we're going to do it, probably look at it a little bit different angle today. So let's look at Luke chapter 15. So here we go. So now said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the leaders of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So we've got two very different crowds gathered around Jesus, and Jesus kind of did this. Jesus, kind of gathered around him, people that wouldn't normally mix. So we had this one group. I'm going to point over here. Don't feel stereotyped by this. I'm just, This is just f- for visual purposes. we got one group over here, and, and, and it said they're the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, you all know about this. Some of you have been around the church for a while. The tax collectors would have been Jewish people who collaborated with the Romans and profited from it. So if you're an average Jew, you hate the tax collectors because they're, they're one of you but, but the Romans have oppressed you for, for, for you know, your whole life. And these people have said, you know what? Instead of being against them, I'm going to work with them. And I'm going to profit greatly from it. So tax collectors were on the fringe of society, hated by most Jews. And it said the tax collectors and the sinners... Now, again, you know, in the evangelical church world, we like to say we're all sinners, but that's what it's talking about there is people who are identified by their sin. Kyle did a great job of describing this in the sermon. He, he said, you know, sinners would be somebody who, oh, yeah, remember she had an affair. You know, that, that's who she is. And so she kind of gets labeled that way. Ah, oh yeah, that guy, he's a thief. You know, that's, that's, that becomes who they are. You identify them with their sin. Or it's their occupation. It's a prostitute, uh, you know, kind of a petty thief, whatever. That's what they do to get by. So that's the tax collectors and the sinners. And it says those people came to hear Jesus. Now, on the other side, it says we, ha- we got the Pharisees and, 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 the, uh, and the teachers of the law. Now, now, if these are the outsiders, these are the ultimate insiders. These are the people who are at the core of Jewish culture and Jewish religion. And, and, and they're not hypocrites in a sense because and they, they walk the walk. I mean, they are serious about the law. They are serious about trying to obey everything. And Jesus is a problem for them because he, they, they, he's a great rabbi, but, man, he's, he, he's not like them. And he doesn't talk like them and he doesn't act like them. And they're here. Well, they're here to hear, and it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering. That's what the NIV says, muttering. I don't really use the word muttering much. Somebody have a different translation? What word do you have there? Okay, now here's the deal, guys. I, I interact. You all don't. Okay, so this is just for this week. Next week, though, somebody will be back talking at you. I'm going to talk with you. So, so what's a word other than muttering that's in one of y'all's translations? Grumbling, complaining. NIV says muttering. So here's what's interesting. I'm not a Greek scholar, but my guess is none of you are either, so I can get away with it. But this is a compound Greek word, and it's not just muttering or complaining or grumbling, it's muttering or complaining, grumbling through. So in other words, they weren't just muttering to themselves or complaining to themselves, they were doing it with each other. They're in, this, they're in this group together going, I can't believe that guy. Look at that guy. Look at it. What is with you? you know, and what are, they, what are they muttering him out? Here's what they say. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. These people over here that, that we put on the outskirts of society, he welcomes them. He, he says, come on in. And, and not only come on in, but it says there he eats with them. That's not a huge deal to us in our culture, but in that culture, if you ate with somebody... That means you identify with them, you associate with them, you, you, you kind of put your all in with them. And when Jesus would eat with these people, who these people would never eat with these people, when Jesus did that, what is he doing? Because those people are on the outside. These people aren't even allowed in the synagogue, and Jesus is hanging out with them and eating with them. He's identifying with them. Now, here's what's interesting. These people came to hear Jesus. Why? Well, because he welcomes them. And, and they've been on the outskirts of society, but this rabbi says, come on in. They've been on the, on the side, certainly, of religion, and he says, oh, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, and you're welcome in. It was powerful. And these people, they don't like it. And these two groups are sitting there, kind of bumping into each other, and then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. So here we go. Verse 3 says, then Jesus told them this parable. Who's them? Who's them? Jesus says he told them this parable. Who's the them in this? Pharisees. Okay, Pharisees. Clearly, he's going to teach them a parable. And because, you know, God is all about correcting our false beliefs uh, about him and ourselves. And they had some false beliefs about God and, and themselves, and, and Jesus is going to help them with that. So Pharisees, I agree with. Who else is he? Is there anybody else? Yes, yeah, yeah, thank you. The Pharisees know this. He's also talking to the sinners. Because even though you, you may think, oh yeah, he's, he's going to talk down, to the, he's going to put the Pharisees in place, this parable is also going to say a whole lot to these sinners and tax collectors. That's really good news in this room. Because I know a few of you, and there's some Pharisees in this room, and you need to hear this parable. You know, you're, there's, you know, you're, kinda, you're judgmental, you're, you're arrogant, uh, you're self-righteousness about you, and you need to hear this. I also know a few of you in there, and there's some sinners in this room, uh, and you've been on the outskirts of society, uh, and particularly of the church, most of your life, and you need to hear this message. Okay, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Inside of me, there's a Pharisee, and there's a sinner. and My sense is it's most of you as well. We got a little bit of both, or maybe a lot of both in us. There's a, there's a self-righteousness in me that I've had most of my life. And there's also a sense of my own brokenness and weakness, and I just can't get it right inside of me as well. So this parable is for all of you, both the Pharisee and the sinner within you. So let's go ahead and look at this parable. He says, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. We could spend hours breaking down this parable, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It's pretty pretty straightforward. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and to the sinners, well, he's just talking about himself. And he's saying, listen, I've got a flock. It's a big flock. It's bigger than you think it is. It's a big flock, and I tell you, if one of the sheep from my flock wanders off, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to pursue it, and when I find it, I'm going to bring it back home. And I tell you what, when I bring it back home, this will really surprise you, I'm going to celebrate. I'm not going to condemn that sheep. I'm not going to blame that sheep. I'm not going to uh, you know, discipline that sheep. I'm going to celebrate with all my friends because my sheep had wandered off, and I went and found it and brought it back home. That's what the kingdom of God is like, you all. That's the story he told. It's a powerful story. So if you think about that story, just that quick little thought of it, what attributes of Jesus do we need to add to our list here? What what, what attributes do do we need to to put in here about him? All right, right, so he's he's, he's persistent. He says right there, I love this, he says, you go, and uh, I love how Jesus says this. He's, he says, uh, I go after the lost sheep until he finds it. He, he's persistent. He doesn't just go, I'm, I'm going to give you 15 minutes if I don't find it, that's it. Uh, and, and so he says, no, I, I'm going to go after it until I find it. What else? Ooh. He, so he's forgiving. Because so, even, even though this sheep has wandered off, and, and, it, and it can be blamed for it, he goes and he finds it, and he celebrates. There's a, there's a forgiveness. It's not, it's not directly said, but you can just feel it. Wow, he, he didn't blame that sheep. He says, "I'm glad to have you home." Anybody else? One more? Yes, sir. Oh. Is that Luke? Wow. You're everywhere. Yeah, there's, there's, this, there's this loving sense to, 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 to how Jesus interacts, how this good shepherd interacts. So, so as we think about it, we go like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. So, so we should be the same way. It's this whole idea, this series, right? One at a time, we should be more like Jesus. And so, so he's saying, hey, you know, can I write on the inside of me, Lord, help me to be more persistent. Because i got to tell you, I give up on people really easy. Uh, there's a part of me, because again, I avoid difficult things. If it gets too messy, I say, well, you know, you're on your own. I, I give up. Uh, the forgiving, whoo. You know, Eric said that he likes a scoreboard. A lot of us like scoreboards. And we have a heart, and we keep everybody else's score as well. And we say, you're behind. And so, and we hold on to that. Can we be forgiving? And in loving, can I desire the best for other people? And there's a part of me that struggles with that because you have to have your own confidence in God to be able to do that. So, so, those, so those are great traits You know, so so hey, Jesus in this parable, he's persistent and he's forgiving, he's loving. So Lord, help make me more persistent, forgiving, and loving. Uh, so hey, first slide I remembered. So so here's a picture of uh, of Jesus as the good shepherd. What's interesting to me is in studying for this, you know, I found out that the early church loved the picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. This was uh, by Philippe de champlain or something like that he's a a belgian painter from the 1600s but all through the history of the church this picture of jesus as the good shepherd has been real strong because early in the church particularly they didn't use the cross as a symbol of the church because why would they because the cross is still being used to kill christians and jews and everybody else so instead one of the early symbols was jesus as the good shepherd it's still a strong symbol matter of fact and it's a real symbol. Some of y'all grew up in the Fellowship Hall, of the church you grew up in down in the basement. They had all those kind of corny pictures of Jesus as a good shepherd, but it's a real thing. Here's a picture taken from like the 1950s, I believe. It's a Bedouin shepherd in, in Israel carrying a sheep. That's, it really does happen. You could go today, if you went out in the countryside, you could find a shepherd carrying a sheep who had walked away. It's a valid, true thing. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, and he he would say this himself in John, John, he said, I am the good shepherd. So if he's the good shepherd, and that's who he is, should we say, you know what, that's what I need to be. I need to be a good shepherd. Would you agree with that? How so? Feels like the right answer, so I'd be a good shepherd of whatever the flock God's God uses language in the Old Testament for the Jewish leaders. He says you need to shepherd the flock. So I think there's some truth to that. That if you've got a family, you should be a good shepherd of it. If you have friends, you should shepherd them well. I I think there's a, a sense of that. But in this parable, in this parable, just in this parable, what's your role in this parable? What was that? Yeah. So, so here's the problem. In this parable, what we really learn is I need to be a good sheep. It's hard to get excited about that, isn't it? Sheep are dumb, all right? Sheep are fairly defenseless. Sheep really need a lot of help. And Jesus says, hey, I tell you what, you're a sheep. And you go, wow, can't you, can't you get us a little something more exciting than that? Um, one of the things I appreciate about men's ministry is, uh, probably the main thing I appreciate about men's ministry is their clothing game, their logo wear. I mean, They, they got some good stuff, you know, and those, some of those Under Armour pullovers and stuff are really nice and stuff. I've, I've seen them on other people. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, So a few years ago we had that men's retreat up at Country Lake, and when I got there, Ronnie gave me a T-shirt. Now, listen, I'm in the ministry. I'm all about free clothing. I, I, you know, it's, that's what I do. And, uh, and, and it, it's one of my favorite shirts. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's soft. I really like it. People, and you, you may be familiar with it. I have it on today. It, it's, the, it's the Becoming Lions. I just had a huge inhale, not to show you my stomach. But uh, uh, Becoming Lions, we're we like, oh, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to be strong and powerful. I get that. That's in Scripture. But it ain't in this parable. It's you need to, you don't even have to become a sheep, you are a sheep. It's it's hard to get excited about that. The Saturday morning men's Bible study a few years ago, I thought we should rebrand ourselves because about a third of the men who come on Saturday morning men's Bible study are from other churches or no church at all. So I thought, well, okay, so maybe we should become the Louisville area men's Bible study. The acronym is LAMS. I said, probably not. No, we're not gonna do that. Eh? It's hard to get excited about. Matter of fact, a popular term in today's society uh, was coined back about 50 years ago. Here it is, is sheeple. It's a derogatory term. It's people who are like sheep and they are meekly submissive or easily swayed, and you use that as an insult to somebody. And Jesus says, Really? Now you're all sheeple. The real question becomes. What kind of sheep are you? So here's here's how how we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning thinking about what kind of sheep are you going to be? Because you are one, whether you like it or not. And so so here we are. We're we're all sheep. And and this is just me. Believe me, you're not going to see this anywhere else, I don't think. I want to give you four different types of sheep, and I want you to think about where are you at in your life. So one type of sheep is what I'm going to call the self-shepherded, the self-shepherded sheep. You say, yeah, I'm a sheep, but I'm my own shepherd. I make my own way, I make my own choice, and I'm the captain of my own sheep. I may be a sheep, but I'm a self-shepherded sheep. I lead my life. Now, our culture loves that mantra, that, that idea. I mean, it, it's, it's a part of who we are as a nation, as a culture. But a self-shepherded sheep, what does that person, what do they really desire to have in their life? Control. That's probably a self-shepherded sheep right out there. <laughs> yeah, they, they want control of their life. They, they want to be in charge. There's, there's, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a self-focus. And now again, it, it can go well for you. Self-shepherded sheep can do really well by the world standards. And, and so, man, you know, I'm doing this, and, and so you're out there, and you're in charge of your life, and, and you, you have control, and you have a sense of that. That's one type of sheep, and some of you are very familiar with that. Well, here's another type of sheep, and I'm going to call this the wrong shepherded sheep. You got a shepherd, it's just the wrong shepherd. Let me give you some examples. Uh, The desires you have can be a shepherd. Earlier in this thing I said, you know, one of the things I believed about myself is I must have the approval of other people to feel good about myself. That's my shepherd. And that thing will run your life. That shepherd will tell you where to go and what to do. Or maybe you have a, a sense of uh, needing to reach a certain, uh, a certain level of accomplishment to feel good about yourself. That's your shepherd. You have a desire for success. You have a need to. You fill in the blank. That's your shepherd. And that will run your life. Here's some more. Uh, fears and insecurities. I'm a notoriously bad speller. Fears and insecurities will run your life. They will shepherd you. Uh, Anxiety. And some of you guys can speak along with me on this. If you've got obsessive, addictive type things in your life, they're your shepherds. And they will lead you wherever they want to take you. So some of us, yeah, we're a sheep, but we got the wrong shepherd leading us through life. And you go like, yeah, I understand that. But there's some more. Uh, here's another one. I'm going to call this the shepherdless person. So, yeah, you're a sheep, but you really don't you're just you're kind of shepherdless and that person tends to be a little aimless. They just kind of drift. And let me just say you're incredibly vulnerable when you're shepherdless, because anything that happens just takes you away. And if you're not that person, some of you know that person. And just the things of life, whew, they're just gone because they don't really have a shepherd. Anything, anything leading and directing them, it's a tough place to be. Fourth one, and this is the one that, you know, it's, it's the Christ shepherded sheep. It's the person, it's the sheep who says, no, no, I have met the good shepherd, and he is my shepherd. Think about the language Jesus uses in the New Testament with his followers. Follow me, come after me, abide with me, remain with me. It's all shepherd talk. Stay with me, stay with me. This is, if, you, if you boil it down all through the New Testament, Jesus is saying to his people, just stay tight with me, stay close to me, follow me, do what I do. Let me be your shepherd. Here, this is one more picture. This was taken in 1940 in rural Middle East, and there's a shepherd, and there's the flock. This is an incredible picture of what I would desire in my life, that the shepherd is Jesus Christ, and I'm just, with, I'm just the rest of the flock, and I'm just staying in there. You know. Oh, I forgot one. Let's go back. Let's go back a couple pictures. I blew this. The one I said I would use for sure, yeah, uh, that's a selfie, all right? That's who you are, okay? All right? I, that we're all sheep, man. That, that's, that's, and, and, and embrace that. Embrace that, that you know what? On my own, if I'm honest, I'm not that smart, I'm not that powerful, and I need help. That's Actually, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. All right. So here we are, follow me, uh, remain in me, abide in me. Hey, that, that's what we're doing. So here's, here's a, a sense for me is when I accept Christ, this, you know, uh, in God's view, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. But you know what? These don't just go away. And on any given day, I may kind of wander off to, back to trying to run my own life and seize control. Or or maybe, and some of you can relate to this, hey, yeah, man, I'm all in. But, man, sometimes these other shepherds call my voice, call call with their voice and say, come follow me. And sometimes I listen. Or sometimes maybe I just kind of just out there start drifting. What's the cool thing about this parable? What happens when I do that? According to this parable, Jesus comes after me. See, some of y'all have a hard time with that because you've always grown up thinking, if I drift away, I've got to get back to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say that. In this parable, he says, matter of fact, you, you, on your own, you really can't get back to me. You're not smart enough. You've, you've, you've wandered off. And Jesus says, no, I'll come after you. Jesus ends this parable by saying, and I do think he says this one. Well, he says this with to both groups. He says to the... To the Pharisees, teach the law, and to the sinners, he says, Listen, you all, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He uses the exact word that they were using to describe those people. So he says, Hey, listen, I tell you that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so he's saying to you sinners, Guess what? You've been on the outskirts all your life, but when one of you repents, turns to God, the heavens rejoice. And he's saying to you, Pharisees, you think you got it all together, but let me tell you, those people that you look down on, the angels are singing because of them. It's a powerful, powerful statement. So what does repentance mean? And now we're not going to get into a theological discussion necessarily. We don't have time for it. But you know, classically, it means to turn around. you been going in the wrong direction, turn around. Uh, Dallas Wilwards would say you need to rethink your thinking, change your thinking. But in this parable, again, it's just in this parable. And Don't, don't, don't try to develop a whole theology on one story. But in this parable, what does repentance look like? In this parable, what does repentance look like? So, you're, some of you are thinking, "If we don't answer, we'll eat up our group time. I won't have to share today." Now, that's not going to happen. All right, it's being rescued. Repentance is simply being found. I, uh, Kenneth Bailey, one of my favorite writers who spent decades just living in Syria and Israel out in the villages, he says, in this story, repentance is simply allowing yourself to be found by the good shepherd. And so you've experienced that in your life. Lord, I, oh, I wasn't even strong enough to come back to you. I simply said, here I am. Will you come and find me? Will you come and find me? Powerful parable. And, and, and that idea of who, what I believe about God and what I believe about myself, I, ho- I hope that kind of ranges because God spent the last 50 years of my life trying to constantly change that for me, and he's wanting to do that for you as well. But we're going to end today a little bit differently. We've got a few minutes here. We're going to end uh, in prayer, but it's going to be a little bit different kind of prayer. It's going to be a directed prayer. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the 23rd Psalm. Because it is the psalm for sheep you, you, you think it's a psalm for funerals And I get that But David, the little shepherd boy Wrote this psalm about God, his shepherd And how he speaks to us, his sheep So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this psalm So here's what I'm going to ask you to do uh, it, um, Don't read along with me I mean, it's there, you can find it later It's not going anywhere But instead, I want you just uh, If you want to, close your eyes You don't have to, if that feels odd to you But as I read through it I'm going to just read through it, and I'm going to make a few comments, and you just sit and think. Allow God to speak to you, his beloved sheep, in this time. Go with me. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I want you to think about, have you ever, ever experienced God restoring your soul? Have you ever had a sense of God just restoring you? Remember that time. Ponder on that. Just allow that to wash over you. A time of him restoring you. He goes on to say, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you have a memory of God guiding you? Maybe it was just that still small voice inside of you, or maybe it was something you heard in Man Challenge, or something that you read in the Bible. That just You just had a sense of, that's God telling me where to go. The Good Shepherd guides us. Just remember times where God has guided you. What did that feel like? David goes on to say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Gentlemen, this life on this earth is the valley of the shadow of death. Death is all around us, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally. There's death all around us, but you don't walk alone. It says here, David says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. God walks along with you. His rod and staff, they comfort you. Can you think of a time where you have felt God's comfort in your life? His presence in difficult times. as we continue it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Most of us in this room do not have people who are our enemies. Some of you do, but most of us just, but our enemies are there. They're not people, but they're anxiety, depression, an addiction, a struggle, uh, uncertainty, doubt. We've got our enemies and they are wanting to sap our strength and it says here that God makes a table and eats with us in the presence of our enemies. He says I'm not going anywhere, I'm right here with you. I want you to ponder and think, can you think of times where you have sensed God's presence even when you are in the middle of your junk? Have you sensed God's presence or have you believed the lie that he can't be with you in the midst of your junk? Ponder that time. Then David says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The God of the universe anoints you. He has chosen you. He has picked you. You are his. You didn't pick him, he picked you. Can you Sit in that thought for a moment that the God of the universe has picked you to be here today. And if you've not accepted that he's picked you, today could be the day that you say yes, you have chosen me and I say yes. Ponder him choosing you. And finally, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you grasp that the God of the universe has picked you, and he has said to you, guess what? I'm not going anywhere, and you're going to spend eternity with me. You will dwell with him forever. Sit in that reality for a moment. And again, if you've not accepted that he's picked you, ponder that as well. That it's right there, the invitation is there. Will I accept that he has chosen me for eternity? Sit in that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that 2,000 years ago you said to a bunch of Pharisees and sinners that you are the good shepherd. And today you are saying to a bunch of Pharisees and sinners that you are the good shepherd. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice like those uh, people did 2,000 years ago. Lord, I, I pray that we would just humbly accept that we are your sheep. Actually, no, we would proudly accept that we are your sheep and you are our shepherd And we will abide with you and follow you for the rest of our life and on into eternity. Lord, all these things I pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.